Welcome back to another Box to Box WSL slash Women's Champions League episode, the last of the season. Thankfully, not thankfully, this, these have been fun. But I'm Alex Baceta, your host, and today I'm joined by the usual, Abdul Abdullah and Jesse Parker Humphreys. How are you two? I've had better weekends. Could be better, obviously. Just, uh, you know, still still trying to process the whole thing. But, you know, we're good. We're okay. We'll recover. Well, I'm doing great. So that's what matters. <laughs> um, obviously, Jesse and I watched the match together. I had a better night than they did because um, I was very happy. And There was lots of jumping around my Jesse was sulking in the corner of the sofa with a very grumpy face. I was quite a good host, I think, given what was happening. (laughs) You know what? Jesse allowed me to run around with a bottle of champagne and happiness and screaming (laughs) Alexia Puteas for the entirety of the match. So amazing host at that. But yes, we've had a full day and most of today to kind of digest what happened in, in Sweden on Sunday. Jesse, how are you feeling now? I think there are two things I've taken away from this. One, in some ways, once I got over the initial shock and embarrassment, it was almost less heart-wrenching than like losing in the last minute. Um, I think, obviously, if, um, you know, as a Chelsea fan, on the men's side, we had a last-minute equaliser disallowed by VAR in the FA Cup final. And in some ways, that almost made me feel worse because it was like being taken away. The second thing I've taken is... I rewatched the game and it was obviously really bad, but it wasn't as bad as I felt at the time. So they're my two slight positives. <laughs> we also had a decent amount of alcohol in us, so I think we we felt the emotions more than yeah, definitely. Abdullah, <laughs> <laughs> um, how are you feeling af- about the final? After a day or two of digesting it, I ended up writing. Literally, last minute, decided I'm going to write a couple of 1500 word analysis on the game and once I started dissecting it you just kind of can't help but feel like just Barcelona just kind of just took advantage and I think the initiative was a shock it was horrible but then afterwards I'm just like oh, I can't really be too mad can I I mean just after the, the start so it's kind of where I'm at now I'm almost like at the acceptance phase I've passed the grief I'm at acceptance so let's see maybe I don't know if I I, I don't know if I went into denial but you know we're, here we are yeah, that's fair. Um, I'm doing great. I watched the match today again. I was happy as ever. This time I watched it with Spanish commentary, so it was a bit better to listen back to. But anyway, obviously Barcelona won 4-0 within the first 35 minutes. Um, and I think that says a lot about the match and how specific it was um, in terms of what actually happened and the action that happened and, and the second half especially. But Barca managed 55% possession, which really isn't that much when you consider that the team um, who likes to keep the ball. 12 attempts on goal, which is four on target, which are the goals. Uh, whereas Chelsea managed 17 attempts on goal with five on target. But bringing stats back into here, Barca had an XG of 2.25, whereas Chelsea just had 1.41. So when you look at the attempts on target, and what they had on target versus the actual XG. I think that says a lot. Um, but a game of two halves, I guess you can say, because Chelsea were definitely better in the second, even though they didn't score 
Um, but I think Barca just did so well to exploit Chelsea's clumsiness in in the first half, um, essentially. But I mean, I hope no one gets offended when I say clumsiness. I do mean that very loosely. This Chelsea side is so really good. Please don't hate me. Um, but Jesse, where did it go wrong for Chelsea? Um, it'd probably be easier to say where didn't it go wrong for Chelsea because basically everything that went wrong could go wrong. They were way too narrow. The fullbacks were massively exposed. There was a quite a big chunk of luck that went against them as well. But, you know, that's Chelsea had benefited from a large amount of luck in this tournament. It kind of just felt that it'd run out. Um, and Barcelona were just sharper and quicker in, in in every sense like from from the first whistle and we talked before about you know what that experience of having been to a Champions League final might have looked like for Barca and I think you know they experienced exactly what Chelsea experienced and it just felt like they were so much more switched on and ready to go and I think that's what was interesting when I was re-watching it is is actually when you watch those first 10 minutes it it does feel fairly even it's just like the panic got bigger and bigger as Chelsea conceded more and more goals and the first two were kind of unlucky and the second two were really good but it it just like collapsed for Chelsea didn't it ultimately I think that is fair to say um obviously the two goals the first two goals we'll get into it later but yeah it was first two goals were were pretty unlucky um really foot goal by Manly Leopold again this time on the other side of of the pitch and then a penalty call but Despite that, we will get into it because I do think the build-up to both of those goals were, were also big and crucial. Um, but Abdullah, what was one key factor in Chelsea's downfall? What was that one aspect of the match that if it would have been different, the match could have gone differently, potentially swayed in Chelsea's favour? Well, that's probably asking me the toughest question just because there are so many things to pick from that you literally like there are maybe I can think of four or five things that if I even pick any one of them, the match could have gone a different way. But I think I have to pick, which I don't know how much differently it could have gone, but it's kind of one into the other. I think as fullbacks, I think their positioning their just that whole thing was just a travesty. It was everything that could go wrong with the fullbacks went wrong. And this is kind of, I think, what people are afraid of leading up to the final where that this is the kind of mess that I think people thought Chelsea would get in when they would decided to play fullbacks who weren't, you know, who were bad at positioning. Jonah Anderson was dropped for this very reason. And then we've just seen these two fullbacks falter. So I, again, I, I, we'll go into it deeper later, but I think for me, it's, it has to be the whole positioning of the fullbacks, the defensive line. I think that was just, it just went so horribly wrong that I think if that was a little bit better, they could have had, they may still have conceded a couple of goals, but two nil down, you can still come back from four nil down is near on impossible. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of factors that, you know, we can always say this could have been done, this could have been done, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. And it's um, what Emma Hayes decided to do, whether it be right or wrong. Um, I think also the other aspect of this entire match, this entire matchup is that this could have easily gone in Chelsea's way. You know, Chelsea easily could have been up 3-0, should it? I mean, not in this particular event, but on a good day, if, you know, all the Chelsea players were at their best, if all the Chelsea players were were given really good instructions that played to their strengths, um, I think they could have easily been up, you know, 4-0 by halftime. I think that was kind of the the reason why this game was so hard to call. 
Um, but obviously that didn't happen. And, and Chelsea, I think, were their own downfall. But again, you know, the first two goals were, of course, not ideal. Um, I think both from a Barcelona perspective. I mean, we'll take two goals, but, you know, it wasn't as glorious, I guess you can say. Um, the first one was a Fran Kirby clearance that hit Menali Loipols and looped into the back of the net. Um, Kirby, Kirby was laughing after that one. That was kind of funny. I just thought, oh, you don't know what's coming next. Um, but I think that one was just down to poor communication. They both went for the same ball, clearing the ball in opposite directions, which obviously didn't really go right. But, 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 but the lead up to that goal was brilliant. Um, Alexia Putellas, our God and, and Savior and, and everything that you can imagine. Um, she regained possession from Neve Charles at pretty much the halfway line. Um, just got a tap in and the ball landed in Licky Martin's path, um, who carried the ball down the left and she cut around Millie Bright and G, who both had a really, really poor attempt of defending her and trying to stop her. And Licky Martin just unleashed this brilliant, brilliant curling shot um, into the far post. AKB had absolutely no chance of save, saving that, um, but it hit the crossbar and... It, it kind of went to the edge of the box and then Caroline Graham Hansen was there. She just volleyed the ball into the box. It was a weird kind of um, path that the ball went into. So I think it might have actually deflected off Jess Carter, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, but the ball ended up back in the box and then that's where it was a kind of a, a messy fight to clear the ball. Um, and then that one back in the net and that was just 30 seconds in the match. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I know I was just like, what? I didn't even know to celebrate that goal because it was just everything was just so bizarre. Um, but Jesse, you know, you mentioned there Chelsea's luck and we've been mentioning it for the past few episodes, considering, you know, that crucial away goal that Chelsea got against Bayern Munich that also hit Melanie Leupold's in the head without her knowing it just looped in, into the back of the goal. How do you feel about conceding this goal? Well, I think for both of those goals, actually, it's what you said earlier, Alex, is that we can talk about luck all you like, but if you put yourself and your team in positions where you can get that luck, that's important and that's what matters. And, you know, I'd say with Melanie Loipotz's goal against Bayern, well, that's like comes from like good delivery in the box and bad Bayern defending, and that's how you get that luck. And equally here, it was a, a fantastic start from Barcelona, as you say, I think G would have backed out all the way out of the um, stadium. She just kept moving so far back rather than going to Martins to close down. For me, that was like a classic. If you wanted to one moment in the match to distill why we should have played Aaron Cuthbert instead of G Sohyun, it was probably that one because Aaron Cuthbert goes in for that tackle, you know, and she doesn't let Martins get the shot off. So it was frustrating. It was really bizarre. I think it's interesting. And I think maybe one thing that I'd pick out of it as well, which which maybe isn't so much about luck, but it's the second kind of, and I wouldn't say this is a mistake, but it's the second kind of like Frank Herbie getting involved defensively thing that's gone wrong for Chelsea recently, because obviously the second Man City goal in that 2-2 draw also came from Frank Herbie kind of playing a bit of a bizarre back pass. I know this is a totally different situation, but it does just make me think about how Hayes is maybe drilling some of her attacking players in their defensive work, it might be a bit too much to extrapolate from that, but I just thought it was like an interesting coincidence, as you said, Alex, also about, you know, what's that communication looking like? And again, I think this speaks a bit to the the panic that just felt like was obviously there for Chelsea. 
Yeah, I think panic might be a good word to to kind of explain it because I think also in the in the third goal in particular, yes, Alexia Puteas's pass was. I I have no words for that pass. I just I, wow. Anyway, it was G again who got beat. G was finding herself in a lot of defensive position um, positions and, and and situations that I have no idea why you would want a player like G in those situations. I mean, G is, is really good with the ball at her feet, but when you talk about, you mentioned there about like that getting dirty, you know, the side tackles, the botting people off. G's good at holding the ball and botting people off, but is she going to go into that head first tackle to to do what it takes to stop a, a shot like that Lincoln Martin shot, for example? Um, but yes, but moving on to the second goal. Yes, it was a penalty. Yes, it was probably really, really soft. But again, the buildup, it was all in the buildup. Um, Jenny Hermoso picks up the ball in her own defensive half. Uh, pretty much the positioning that she was in was kind of a CDM position. Um, she laid it off to Lika Martins, who, my word, just in one touch, she evaded two Chelsea players just like that. Um, I think it was Sophie Ingle. I know it was Millie right behind her who stepped up to kind of, I don't know why she stepped up because it was pretty useless. Um, but in two touches, um, Lika Martins was into space. Millie Bright was tracking back and she had um, Caroline Graham Hansen to her right side. There you go, uh, Barca attacking just three touches, basically. But then Martins slid the ball onto the right side of where Caroline Graham Hansen, it was in behind and it kind of looked like Jess Carter was going to get there first. It really, it was, you know, that that typical situation where you're just like, oh, it was a wasted pass. Uh, the defender's going to get the first, but nope. Um, Caroline Graham Hansen bodies Jess Carter off the ball. And then Jenny Hermoso literally re- reminded that she did lay off that ball to Martins as a CDM position who literally just hauled ass for the entirety of the pitch. Um, and Caroline Graham Hansen got to the touchline in front of AKB. I thought she was going to take a shot, um, but she actually cut back the ball for Jenny Hermoso who was around the penalty spot and didn't really get it. Her first touch wasn't the greatest, so the ball kind of went away. And then Melanie Leopold tried to defend. Um, and unfortunate, she kind of like tried that. I think it's a Mappy Leon signature move when, when you kind of defend with like a little back heel, um, little flick. Um, she tried that and clipped Jenny Hermoso instead of the ball. And it's just, I think it's down to the official law of, of she denied Jenny Hermoso of being able to get the ball and obviously Leupold didn't get the ball. Very soft. I, I have no problem admitting that. I think everyone is kind of confused whether that was a penalty or not, but I think it was down to VAR and, and looking at the law of it. Just like that, Alexia Putiaz makes it 2-0 for Barca in the 14th minute. Shout out to Johan Cruyff. Abdullah, were the first two, you know, the first two goals weren't conventional, but was Barca scoring early unavoidable considering the game that played out in those first 20 minutes? No, I think I think the way they went, I mean, let's just take out the, the own goal for a second. I mean, just the way they were controlling possession, dominating the ball, overpowering Chelsea's mid... I, I think a first goal within 10 minutes was inevitable. I mean, just the way they were playing. I mean, the fact that they essentially had four or five attacks and then had four goals in those 20 minutes, 25 minutes, it's like... Well, I don't see how they couldn't have gotten at least one goal in the first 10 minutes, just the way they were playing. I think um, the way they controlled midfield, I think that was that was inc- incredible. I think um, 
you know, just their their movement, I think, was the best thing of the entire game. It was the movement between uh, uh, Aitana, the movement between Puteas, and then how the and then uh, Hermoso, and then you get the two wingers and their effect on the movement between between the wingers. Uh, sorry, between the midfielders. I think you put all that together, and um, I think you 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 had a recipe for for at least one goal in the first uh, ten minutes. I think uh, each one of them had a specific role, and I think they literally, I think. 9.9 out of 10 they played it to the game plan so um and yeah like like jesse said i think we i think we called it in the preview right we said we needed aaron cuts but needs to stop because this is exactly what barcelona is going to do this is exactly how they're going to play in midfield and if you don't have a midfield destroyer in there you are going to face the consequences yet what does she do she plays g Yun, sophie ingle many loipels um doesn't play aaron cuthbert and then you know, just to kind of bring it here now, Aaron Kusberg, I think, came on too late. She should have come on at halftime with Kuro right. And I, I think that was that was a mistake there. Um, because that fine you're 4-0 down, but at least if you give it a go after 45 minutes to go rather than 20 minutes to go or 15 minutes to go, then you're like, well, when she came on, I mean it was a little too little too late, but she did show the flashes of things that we talked about her tenacity, passion, energy. She went in for tackles that others weren't going in, she was pressing really well. You put all that together, give her forty-five minutes to do that, or even from the very first minute. You have, a, you maybe, you probably have a closer game overall. While we're talking about the subs there, Jesse, I'm going to ask one to you about. We we talked that you know Gara Ryan obviously came on at halftime. Was it right for her to come on for Menely Leopold's? Do you think? I think it made sense because of how narrow Chelsea were, and basically because they were so narrow, it was almost just allowing Barcelona to box those three midfielders in uh especially because as Jenny Hermoso came back you know there are shots where there's like literally just four Barcelona players in an, a literal box around the Chelsea midfield and they've got no one to go so I think it made sense in terms of you know having someone who's a natural winger being able to like stretch the play a bit more um again we'd kind of identified <laughs> Barcelona's fullbacks as like probably their biggest weakness so it always felt a bit bizarre that Chelsea kind of played into their hands by playing so narrow anyway. So I guess that also maybe helped with that. I mean, you know, we'll come on to the second half, but it's so hard to talk about because once you're 4-0 down at halftime, it's like really like what's going to what's gonna happen. But, you know, I think that the Aaron Cuthbert versus G thing is interesting. And I think it's interesting that Leuports went off because actually in some ways, I thought G, whilst she was defensively poor because she's not a defender, she felt like the most press resistant of those three in midfield. And actually, lots of good stuff that Chelsea did did come through her going past players. So I wonder if actually it should have been Cuthbert for Leupoltz, maybe. to Because I feel like Leupoltz was neither one or the other in this game. She wasn't very good on the ball and she wasn't very good defensively. Whereas at GCU, I, I at least felt like I could see what she was offering to the side. And I think that's why she stayed on the pitch. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think also we're going to trademark Midfield Destroyer as Aaron Cuthbert's nickname from now on. You heard it first on Box to Box. Um, and Jesse, we're stay on, staying on you that Pernille Harder chance shortly after the first goal, I'm pretty sure it was. That was big. I think that was, I think, Chelsea's most important moment of the match. And it was so early on. It was a brilliant ball from Jess Carter. 
Um, it was a short corner taken quickly. Um, Jess Carter got it. She kind of on her right foot just curled it into kind of the penalty spot. And again, we saw Pernille Harder make a run with no one around her. Um, Patri was busy with, I think it was Magda who was on the penalty spot. And there was nobody, no defenders on Pernille basically. And she got the cross, really good bounce. She let it bounce first and then kind of just got the shot on with the inside of her foot. Marginally marginally just over the crossbar although i will say that well the way pernil hit it even if it would have gone a bit lower i think sandra baños would have gotten it but if pernil would hit any other way like down low there that was a goal but jesse how big would have that been like could chelsea have potentially used that to kind of get fired or like basically just like that that would have been kind of like the splash like a bucket of water over all the players head, like a slap in the face like would that goal have been like, okay, let's do this, let's go? Yeah, I think if that goes in, it's obviously a totally different game. It was literally within 60 seconds of that opening goal. And I think suddenly you just feel like you were on an equal playing field, obviously, again, and it would just be like a reset. I still think Barcelona probably go on and win, but I think we'd, we'd have obviously watched a very different game play out. At the time, I felt like it was a really good chance. Interestingly, I saw the XG for it was only 0.2, so maybe I'm being a bit harsh on Harder for feeling like she should have scored. I think it's definitely the kind of goal, though, the kind of opportunity that if you're in a Champions League final, you you do need to score. You're not going to get sitters. Um, and I think, again, it kind of harks back to Chelsea's fortuitous route to the final. But the way they've done that is they've taken half chances, low XG chances and been really clinical and scored them. You know, we saw in the the, um, the home leg of the, the Bayern game, you know, Chelsea had four shots on target and they scored four goals. That's kind of what you need to do at this level when these teams are so good. And again, I think lots of people thought this game would be very high scoring and in some ways it was. And I think Chelsea also had the opportunities to make it a very high scoring game. They just didn't take any of them. Yeah, I had I had predicted it was 3-2 from before because I, I just thought that it would have been back and forth in terms of scoring. I think each team would have fed off of each other, if that makes sense. I think there was no way if Chelsea scored, if Barcelona scored, there was no way that that the other team was going to sit back and not respond, even if they were winning. Um, But moving on to the third goal, which was my favorite. Wow. It started from a throw-in close to the halfway line, right in front of Emma Hayes. It was brilliant. Um, Leila Wahabi throws it in for Alexia Puteas, who comes in close to received. Um, Alexia Puteas first times it back to Leila Wahabi, who then first times it back to Alexia. And then Alexia puts it up to Tiliki Martins. I think it was Fran Kirby chasing the ball. I mean, it was it was a ground training. You know, when you play the rondos, when you play the in, in the circle and you have two players in the middle, it was exactly that. It was Fran Kirby chasing the ball while the other players were just passing around. Um, Liga Martins was off on the wing. And she put in a cross that didn't really seem like it was getting anywhere. Um, but Jenny Walter did really well to react. She dropped and, and received the ball. Um, but she met the ball and she had her back towards the net. Um, and Alexia Potiaz was right in front of her. And, and it's worth noting that when Jenny Hermoso dropped to pick up this ball, Millie Bright followed her. Um, so when Alexia Potiaz received the ball first time, Aitana um, Bonmati from the bo- from the top of the box, who was being defended by G, um, exploited that space really quickly. She react she reacted even before Alexia got the ball. She was already making that run, 
And then, then it was just, again, Barcelona style play. Alexa Podias with one pass beats Magda Eriksson, Millie Bright, Angie Soyun, um, just like that. And then Aitana Bonmati gets the ball. Jess Carter, again, attempts to make a tackle or whatever it was she tried to do. It wasn't a full tackle because she stayed on her feet. So I don't really know what actually happened. Um, but Aitana Bonmati kept the ball and then slaughtered it home under AKB's legs. Brilliant. It was just the, the whole lead up to that was just the Barcelona. You know, it was Tiki Taka. It was, it was exploiting spaces. It was moving defenders out of place. It was Alexia Putias putting one of the most gorgeous balls ever. Um, but Jesse, what else could have been done in this goal? Could there any, like, could have Chelsea done anything to avoid this goal? I mean, it was a gorgeous goal um, and very typical Barcelona. I think you've you've got to kind of look at Charles and I guess we'll come on to this because it's very similar to the fourth goal but both times she kind of gets caught out by Martin's pace which I think speaks a lot to maybe her positioning and her nerves she's very young but like she's not a slow player so I mean I don't know if Martin's is just genuinely loads faster than her but I think it felt more like she just didn't really have a grasp on Martin's movement for, for much of the game it's interesting because obviously, you know, people speak about missing Marimielda, but I don't think Marimielda does better in this situation than Neve Charles because I think she she's way too slow. You know, uh, if if Neve Charles couldn't keep up with Liga Martins, there's no way Marimielda does. Maybe her positioning's better in that situation and she doesn't get caught out. She doesn't, you know, as as you kind of said, like Charles seemingly thinking the ball's going out of play when it's not kind of like having those naive moments. And yeah, then the dress car to tackle. Again, it's unfortunate, and I know at the time it felt like Jess Carter was having a really bad game, and she didn't have a great game, but I think I'd say with all of these moments that you shouldn't be in a position where you need your right back, uh, your left back even, to be making these 1v1 tackles, like on the six-yard box. You know, she's not making them like on the byline and they're going past her. It's like they're literally last-ditch tackles. Okay, maybe if she's like the world's most elite left back, she gets there, but you've already messed up by that point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fair. I think also it was, I think Neve Charles's attempt to deal with Lika Martins was strength. I think both times Neve tried to body Lika Martins off the ball and Lika Martins just said nope. And kind of with speed, again, she evaded her because then in this goal in particular, in the lead up to that, I think, yeah, the naivety of, of kind of thinking that the ball's going to go out um, but he just gave full force to try to body Martins off the ball. And then Martin just kept going. And then you found Neve kind of taking, having to take a few seconds to get herself back up and, and back in position. Um, so you can say that. I do think, I do agree that I think Marion wouldn't have made, maybe positionally it would have been better, but in terms of how good Leaky Martins played yesterday, especially, I don't think even Marion Mielda had a chance against that. But again, the fourth goal, another brilliant goal. Um, and again, Lika Martins. And we weren't sure who would be better for this match, whether it be Martins or Mariona. But kudos to Luis Cortez, who got it all right. Um, I mean, Martins had a brilliant, brilliant match on that left wing. Um, Aitana Bonmati, player of the match, fully deserved. Switched the ball into space for Martins on the left wing. Really good vision there. Um, Martins made an early run behind Neve Charles. I think Neve Charles was a bit, I wouldn't say out of position, but she was a bit high. Um, and Martin's caught the space really well. And then she kind of just 
ran past Neve Charles again and got to the touchline where Millie Bright stepped up and went in front of her. Um, who and then Martins kind of just passed the ball in between under Millie Bright's legs, though nutmeg for Hansen for an easy tap in. I also want to want to talk about the movement on this goal as well, because Caroline Graham Hansen was coming in from the back post on her position as a right wing, and Jedin Mosa was one centrally. Um, but when Lika Martins got past Neve to get to the touchline, Jedin Mosa dropped back for a cutback. But also, she dragged Magda Eriksson with her, which means that Magda wasn't there anymore. So Millie Bright was the only center back in the box. And Caroline Graham-Hansen ran from the back post to the front post. Um, and basically, the only thing standing in between Martins and Caroline Graham-Hansen was a very tired, very sleepy, very off the pace um, Millie Bright, which didn't really do much in that situation. And then Jess Carter, again, getting beat. Um, just by Caroline Graham Hansen running, really. So going off of this goal of Lika Martins exploiting Neve Charles yet again, Caroline Graham Hansen beating Jess Carter yet again, Abdullah, how big was the exploitation of both Chelsea fullbacks? Oh, where do I start? <laughs> okay, so um, I think it was pretty much what you know, one, I think top two reasons, if not the f- very big, you know, the main reason why Barcelona did what they did. I mean, let's take it from the beginning. You've, you've got two players in New Charles and Jess Carter who come in and obviously you're restricted to injuries and personnel choices. You know, you, you don't want to risk playing Hannah Blundell, who's not had as many minutes during the lead up to this game. You know, she's not been part of the system. So obviously the other two are. And, you know, and, and let's be real, they play decently well in the build-up to, to these games. So fair enough. I understand why they start. And tactically, it makes sense, okay? Like, New Charles is quicker. So she can supposedly, supposed to be able to deal with the pace of either winger. And then Jess Carter is obviously the more defensive of the two. So, you know, in, in that sense, right, you you put her against one of the, you know, the best winger in the world, you know, in, in uh, Caroline Graham Hansen. But I think what Luis Cortez did really, really well was he saw, he must have seen tape of the games against Wolfsburg and the games against Bayern Munich because, and we we said this earlier so many times in the the previous episodes, that Chelsea got away with it in those games. The fullbacks were exploited in those games as well, yet they were able to get out of those situations because, like, I remember Jesse making this point where Chelsea have, were had two legs to be able to get out of the hole. It was always one leg they weren't great, and then the second leg they came back because they made adjustments. And in, in this 90 minutes, it was going to be tough to kind of be able to do that because obviously you don't have a second leg of a final. So if Barcelona were be able to take their chances, which they did, they were going to get through. And I think the best thing was, was the two wingers basically instructed, you sit high and wide, in build-up, so you pull the fullbacks out. And once the, pull, the fullbacks got pulled in, literally it was game over from there because then you back both Licky Martins and, uh, you know, Graham Hansen to take them on in one-one positions. Once you fly past them, even if they catch up to you, you're still isolated in, uh, you know, you're still isolated in, in, in the wide areas. That pulls either a, diff, a, a midfielder or a centre-back out wide that creates gaps in the in the middle of the box. And then you give space for people like uh, Aitana and people like Puteas to come in. And especially when you have like Jenny Hermosa, like we said, her movement as well. You've got all these players moving around that suddenly 
just space opens up everywhere. But it all starts from the fullbacks positioning. And I think if the fullbacks weren't pulled so wide and so far, and if I think if they kept a little bit of a... And I think another thing I want to mention is I think Chelsea played too high of a line. I think they... I know that they want to dominate and push forward, but I think their, their line was way too high. And yes, fine, you know, Neve Charles is fast, but your other three defenders are not quick. How are you expecting to to track back and cover the space in behind when you have three defenders who are not quick in, in, in any way, shape or form? I mean, okay, Ericsson might be half, you know, decently, you know, okay with speed, but Bright and Carter are not going to get back on a foot race with either of the three front players. So I think while the fullbacks were were poor with their positioning and I think they were exploited completely, it didn't help when the defensive system with the line, the positioning of the centre-backs, the, the, I don't want to say lack of midfield cover, but I think because they were, but I don't think they were quick enough to track back and, and, and cover the spaces that they should have to help the fullbacks. Because usually you see, you know, whether it's the defensive midfielder coming across to help and double up with the, uh, uh, double up with the fullback. And I think, because those things didn't happen, it makes it look worse for wear for the fullback. But again, it just it starts with the fullback, and I think mm, I'm not saying that Marmiela. I know we said Marmiela was not going to make a massive difference in terms of stopping everything, but I think her positioning would have been a lot better, and maybe just maybe she would have had the the uh, the understanding and maybe the experience to be able to say, okay, I need to make quick adjustments here to be able to stop this, and maybe that would have maybe been damage limitation more than actually stopping. Uh, what was happening. So that was probably my, my tactical assess- assessment of what happened. And you know, the other side is just, and sorry, one more thing I just want to add here is what I loved is when play was happening on one side while Barcelona didn't switch play. What I loved was that they focused so much on one side that the other winger automatically had a advantageous one-on-one every time, you know, let's say it's on the left with Martins versus Charles. Graham Hansen always had the blindsided advantage over over Carter because and, and I think Carter you know spent too much time I think a lot of the ch- chances she was ball watching and rather than covering the space and covering the player and kind of keeping an eye on both I, I mean there were times I just saw her look at the ball follow the ball and then when you're doing that and you're not checking your shoulder enough then the winger has all the freedom in the world to be able to maneuver you and kind of get past and that's how you know when she shouldered Carter off the ball in one of those opportunities that's how it happened and it just happened time and time again and I think the lack of experience there kind of cost them in terms of making adjustments and trying to do something different and I'm done <laughs> rant over um yeah there is there's definitely a lot to say about this fullback position I, I think there was no hiding that I think everyone knew the players knew the team knew Emma Hayes knew everybody in the world who watched that game against Byron knew that that fullback exploitation was was the way to get in behind Chelsea and I think the biggest difference between obviously Byron couldn't even Wolfsburg couldn't finish their chances after exploiting the wing. Um, what I find interesting is how unable Chelsea were to deal with not from plays down the wing, but not resulting in crosses in the box. If that makes sense, it's wingers cutting in inside, beating one v one duels. It, it's cutting back, um, whereas Wolfsburg and, and Byron were always looking to get in that cross and win that aerial duel. Um, which obviously Chelsea are, are pretty good at, but Barcelona don't do that. Like there's, you know, how many times did they cross into the box in the final? Um, it wasn't that many. It was always Liga Martins, Carolam Gramans, Hansen cutting in across on the floor though. 
um just very very different just I, that just came to my mind now I just thought that was a really interesting observation whether it means anything or not that's a whole other story but Jesse same question to you Chelsea's full, it's not even a question just Chelsea fullbacks talk yeah I think what you just said is really interesting and I wonder if also it actually speaks to a bit of a, a centre-back problem which is namely that Millie Bright is a very good centre-back at some things but isn't a great centre-back at other things and I think I did a silly bingo card for this game and the first thing I put on it was Millie Bright shank clearance because she really struggles I think to read the flight of the ball and the fourth goal is exactly that she struggles to read the flight of the ball Manchester City game Chelsea conceded a goal again because she can't make those clearances and I don't know what it is I don't know if it if it's when she's a bit switched off maybe maybe it's a concentration issue or maybe it's genuinely but she can do it when she's like heading the ball away a lot of the time so it seems like when um people are like pulling back the ball they're quite close to her she doesn't seem to have a great gauge of how to get rid of it in that situation so I think that's again maybe something that speaks to a wider defensive issue I think it's very easy to focus on the fullbacks and you know I think it is important to recognize that they're 21 and 23 years old they haven't played much game time you know those fullbacks in some combination have got Chelsea to a Champions League final so I think if you look in the wider context it's really impressive and ultimately they were just outplayed against two extremely good wingers you know you're talking about two elite wingers against two very naive fullbacks I think it was always going to be quite it was going to take something very special for it not to to take this this form you know I still think they were the right fullbacks to play I've seen some people suggest oh John Anson should have played but I think her positioning is even worse than Jess Carter's I think Chelsea should sign some fullbacks this summer but Neve Charles, at least. Jess Carter, I'm not sure if maybe she's cut out for this highest level. But I think Neve Charles has a, has a long way to go. And I think if Emma Hayes sees her long-term future at fullback, I think she could be really good. But I think you were just looking at someone who'd played about four games in that position this season. Yeah, that is fair to say. As I said earlier, I think anybody who watched Chelsea's journey to this final and any footballistic interests whatsoever would have seen that the fullback position like it wasn't the positioning it's just I think what you said that the naivety of of Neve Charles trying to body Liga Martins off the ball and that being her her plan a to stop the kind of the, the run um and just Carter kudos to her though she did get in the good positioning I think the positioning wasn't bad but she just got pushed off the ball so easily it was just impressive um, and also, Neve Charles did do that that last um, that tackle on was it Asisia Oshola? That was a really good tackle, and from behind, it was brilliantly timed. Got the ball, clean tackle, brilliant. Yes, Jesse. Uh, sorry, I was just going to add <laughs> just on this fullbacks thing. I think that example of Charles and the fact that Carter almost made those tackles speaks to the fact that these are good players that they're just not at that level because bad players aren't in those positions at all. I just like I think that's worth bearing. No, about. it is it is fair to say because it, it's that both of those just Carter getting beat 
both by Kenan Gramhansen and Aitana Bonmati was I thought was just down to poor decision making in that specific moment. If you're going up against Kenan Gramhansen on that ball, as I said, I thought it was a lost ball that Leaky Martins put into CGH, but somehow CGH got around. And she was just she pushed Jess Carter off. It's as simple as that. Um, the positioning was fine. It's just in that moment. As you know, if you're an experienced fullback or a center back or whoever's in that position, the first thing you do is clear the ball no matter what. You're gonna get into that side tackle and clear it off for a throw in and then reposition yourself and, and group your entire team together. But in that position, I don't know what she wanted to do. Um and obviously CGH took advantage of that, just like that Bon Mati thing. I don't know if Jess Carter actually went in for the tackle. She was like on her knees. I don't know if she touched the ball. It was just really, really weird. And I was like, if you're in that position, go for the tackle, but don't go half-assed because that obviously never results in in a good ending um, for anybody. Um, But enough. You know what? I'm going to... I want to talk about Barcelona. We haven't talked about Barcelona this this entire podcast. I wrote the running order and I only talked about... Chelsea's what everything Chelsea went bad and I just realized that like two seconds ago so I put in Barcelona questions because we haven't talked about them in the entirety of this podcast so far Barcelona wow just absolutely brilliant um no it was I mean obviously in the lead up to this um Alexia Puteas was a maybe because she did get that muscular injury um seemed like it was in training and then obviously the day before she didn't train with the team she trained on her own um, just kind of was just changing directions without a ball. Um, so everyone was freaking out, including myself. I admit it. I lit the candles around her jersey. No big deal. I was fine dealing with it really, really well. Because um, if, you know, we, we already lost Batri in the midfield as a center back. And I thought she did brilliantly in, in center back position. That's a whole other story. But we already lost Batri in the midfield. If we would have lost Alexia Potias in the midfield, I probably would have cried. That's it. I mean, she played brilliantly. She got one goal, one assist. She got she regained possession back for that first goal. I mean, her presence, it's just you can't explain it. She scores goals, she assists, she does everything. She does crucial passes. She does everything that you need for this specific Barcelona side to succeed. She does everything. Um and really well deserved player of the match, right? Dana Bonmati, who is obviously the she's brilliant. Um, really good at regaining possession, really good at switching the ball, really calm um, with the ball at their feet. So even if, you know, Magda was was pressuring her, she would just take the ball, hold the ball up, and then in two touches again, out, out into space or switching the ball to Lika Martins on the left wing. Abdullah, was there, you know, obviously we, we've talked about, I've talked a lot about this Barcelona side this entire week, and I, I still don't get bored of it. You know, we 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 knew the threats that this Barcelona have, we knew the players that are that Chelsea had to look out for. Was there something about Barcelona, what Barcelona did that surprised you or impressed you? I think not so much surprise. I think for me, it's more about impressed. I think, I mean, I, and I alluded to this earlier, their movement was probably my favorite thing of the entire game. Just the way, not even just the individual movement, but I think the movement between the movement and the cohesion and the coordination between the four players in midfield and how they were so coordinated in terms of where they needed to be and how they needed to play. I mean, it's like when Jenny Hermoso dropped into, you know, dropped out just outside the box, you'd have Bon Matteo Puteas take up a position and go, go beyond. If um, uh, 
Martens or Caroline Grant Hansen had the ball out wide, you'd see you'd see both uh, Aitana and 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 Puteas push up, Hermoso drop in. So then you've kind of got this triangle going on right there, and just in zone 14, just in front of the box. But then that creates space elsewhere. And and like we said, that third goal, picture perfect. Martens has the ball. She pulls out Neen Charles. She pulls out Millie Bright. There's space in between. Jenny Hermoso drops. Magda Erickson gets pulled back. Suddenly, at, uh, you know, Puteas is in the right place to kind of receive the ball. And then Aitana just, you know, kind of casually goes in behind all three, four players and then just scores. So for me, that 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 game plan was was perfect. And, you know, it's, it's, it's surprising almost in the sense that Barcelona obviously played well. They won 4-0, so obviously they played well. But the thing is, it's... It, it almost felt like they they just took it. I mean, they just took advantage of what was in front of them. You know, it was almost like, and not, and not taken away from Barcelona. Obviously, I think regardless of whether Chelsea played good or bad, they would have been, I think, at this level. But it's like, it's it's like okay, Chelsea played bad. They were just really good at taking advantage of the of the mistakes that they made, however small or big it was. So I think that, along with their movement, was probably my most. Um, my most enjoyable moment of the of the entire game, just the, the the tactical, you know, nuances and the small details were 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 brilliant. You know, and I, I just shout out to Kira Hamraoui for coming in that defensive midfield position. You know, and we talked a lot about her in the build up to this game during the week, um, and how was she going to fare? And I think she just kind of played her role brilliantly. Sit there, take the ball, be that safety net, be that insurance for the team. Didn't have to venture forward too much. Let the rest of them do what they have to do. I'll just be here and be disciplined and kind of just receive the ball, pass it out, receive the ball, pass it out. And it almost like, you know, to some extent, you almost didn't miss Patrick in midfield just because of the way she played her position and, and the rest of them did. So I think that those are the things that impressed me the most. Yeah, I have to swallow my words. I did say on the wafer preview that I would prefer Vicky Lozada in that CDM role. Um I do regret saying that. I must admit that Gera Hamraoui did amazing. Um, I think I wouldn't say that it was beyond expectation because I think we all expected her to play the way that she did. Um, I just didn't realize how big of an impact it would be in, in very specific situations, if that makes sense. Um, I think Vicky Lozada would have obviously offered a very different role in terms of distributing, and we saw that in the second half. But Gera Hamraoui specifically what impressed me about that was the way that she played with Patri. Um, I think they covered each other really, really well. I think maybe that must have been something that Cortes or, or the technical staff must have pointed out. But there was a lot of times that Gedam Haurawi was was very, very close to Patri um, and she regained possession. And the first thing that she did was gave the ball to Patri. So I don't know if I would, I mean, the way that this Barcelona side play, I'm assuming that was on purpose. Most definitely. Um, but the way that Geram Hanawi regained possession and distributed the ball to to someone, I wouldn't say better, but just someone at maybe better positioned than she was. Um, and I think that goes to say of how this Barcelona side play, it's, it's about giving, it's about team playing. What I'm trying to say is that as, as we saw in that Jenny uh, Edmoso pass back to Alexi Poteas, she's a striker but here she is with her back to goal and, and giving the ball off to someone else who's in, who's in a better position, who obviously gave that, that better ball. Um, I think Gayda Hanawi did that a lot and she was amazing. Um, really, really calm on the ball. There was a lot of times where 
and there was a an aerial ball coming to her and I think most CDMs would have probably headed that back into nowhere really and here she is taking a first touch bringing the ball bound and keeping possession of the ball it was little things like that that really that's what I'm saying impresses about is the wrong word because we know what a player she is but I think they were really, really crucial in that moment to, to keep the calmness and not give Chelsea the ball back, basically. But, Jesse, we're going to go to you. Talk about Barcelona, even though you don't want to. Step out of Chelsea for a second. What is your favorite aspect of this Barcelona side? I think something that I really enjoy about this team is how press-resistant they are. It just feels like no matter what pressure they're put under, that, that's kind of what you're saying with Hamraoui even, is... That pass is always there. The movement's there to make the pass, and it's always a simple pass. It doesn't have to be really complicated. Sometimes it's a very clever pass, but the way they move around each other and with the ball, I think, I mean, maybe this is like a bit of an oversimplification, but it felt like that was the real difference, you know? There were a lot of moments, especially in that first 10 minutes, where, you know, the ball was just kind of bobbling around in midfield, but it felt like every time Barcelona picked it up, there was a calmness, there was the pass and move, you know? And I feel like Chelsea just don't have that at all it, with, with their midfield players, really. And I think, you know, if you look at some of the stats, which I like was surprised by, but that Chelsea were allowing less passes per defensive action than Barcelona for large portions of the game. E.g. Chelsea were pressing more than Barcelona. But you would not have realised that at all because of how good Barcelona were at moving the ball. Whereas when Barcelona pressed Chelsea, it felt like that was immediately a turnover. And I felt like that just was such a clear difference for me between both the quality and the the tactics of the team. Because I think, you know, tactically, it felt like we haven't really spoke about this, but Penila Harder was like pushed quite a lot higher than she has been at some points in the season. It was almost like her and Kerr were in a two with, with Kirby behind them. And I felt like maybe that was why Chelsea were finding it so hard because in earlier bits of the season, for the majority of the season, Hard has been the one who's been pushed slightly back and it has been more of a diamond rather than a 4-3-3 or a 4-3-1-2 as it almost looked at times on the Sunday. And maybe that was a bit what Chelsea lost. You know, you saw Jenny Hermoso dropping back and being so effective in the midfield, but Chelsea just didn't really have that, the the attack and the midfield felt so disconnected. I'm sorry, I've kind of spoken about Chelsea a lot in this answer, but I just think... You had one job, (laughs) Barcelona. (laughs) But that highlighted how good Barcelona were. But yeah, I just think it sums up, you know, that's what Barcelona do really well, that fluidity between midfield and attack, that willingness to move off the ball and that calmness when you are being pressed. I think for any football fan, that's what they love most about Barcelona. Um, And it is, you know, it is, some people argue, like, don't compare it to the men's side. But when we're talking about Barcelona, whether it be men or women or academy or first team, we're talking about the team. And the reason why we go to Pep's Barcelona to the men's team is because that's the team that everybody knows. And if you know that team you know how Barcelona women in this game played. So I think that that's just, it's it's what everybody loves about Barcelona. It's what everyone admires about Barcelona. It's what, you know, it's what a lot of teams base their football on. 
is it's not you know it's not Luis Cortez it's not Pep Guardiola even I mean he simplified it but it's all down to the Johan Greif philosophy that the entire club picked up and Pep made his own Luis Cortez made it his own and and look where they are now everyone's admiring a style of play um, but that's a whole another story of the history of Barcelona and whatnot um, <laughs> but we'll step into the second half um, also I do want to shout out to Michael Cox who did a really, really good article highlighting Jenny Hermoso's movement off the ball. Um, that was a really good read. I think he simplified it in words that I can't simplify it into. Um, so that was, it, was, it was a really good read. If you want to know more about the movements of, and how important Jenny Hermoso was to the game, even if she didn't score, um, read that article. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about a little bit about the second half. Um, there is not much to say about it, I think. Um, overall, um, obviously the 4-0 happened in the first half, so that's where all the action was, and that's kind of where the downfall of Chelsea was. But the second half was a lot better for Chelsea. And we talked about Guru right and coming on right at halftime. They got chances, um, not really, you know, big chances. Sandra Baños was forced into a few saves. Um, I think it was a perennial hard, harder header. It was a G uh, free kick. So Sandra Baños was a bit more active in the second half, but was it, something that I was kind of stressed about was it no not really um Jesse what was your take on the second half yeah I think when you're 4-0 down at half time there's there's not a huge amount you can take away from the second half um it's just so impossible to judge based on the game state because yeah Chelsea kind of created some chances but it kind of felt like Barcelona had, had taken their foot off the pedal not necessarily in a being like we're 4-0 up way, but they just didn't need to attack in the same way. And also Barcelona created some decent chances too. So I think the Wrighton substitution was interesting. Um, I think obviously it it was an opportunity to give Chelsea some more width. And again, it kind of worked, but you're when you're so when you're so far down, it's like I, I almost can't judge the second half at all because all of it's so dependent on what the game state was um I think the only thing that I would say is you know when we were at that Reading game last week Alex Chelsea were really stodgy and slow until Guru Wright and Aaron Cuthbert came on and I always felt like that Reading team was obviously just Emma Hayes like prepping the team for this game so the starting 11 was always going to be the same but to me, it just felt like in that moment, like maybe you should look at Ryson and Cuthbert as these players, as these are the people who are bringing dynamism to a team who've played, you know, quite a lot of games. I know women's football, there's not as many in the men's games, but, you know, it's still like relative to what these like players as athletes expect. And maybe these people who haven't had as many minutes, they're going to offer you a bit more of that like excitement and that shift. And I felt bringing on Wrighton at halftime in some ways showed that. Like, I don't know, this need to change. Yeah, it, maybe it was a tactical thing, but it also felt like Chelsea were just like lethargic for lots of this point in the game. And I think that was also maybe Hayes' issue was that it really felt like she wanted to go in and play Chelsea football this season, which I totally get, you know? It was a big moment for her personally as well, as well as for the team. But maybe when we look back at that Reading game now, you see the seeds of maybe some of the slowness that Chelsea struggled with in, in this game. And maybe that should have been her moment of 
maybe taking a step back and saying, yeah, I want to play what I think is my best first 11, but maybe there's actually players that are a bit more switched on at the moment. Yeah, we're going to go into that a bit slightly with you, Abdullah. You know, there's no doubt that Chelsea are going to get back into this final. There's no doubt about that. But what do Chelsea need, both tactically and in personnel? Good question. This is something I've actually been thinking about the last um, couple of days, actually. And I was thinking about this just before the final as well. I've been I've been doing a little bit of research on their new centre-back, Anik Nuven. I think you have a better pronunciation of her name. I don't. I think it's just Anik Nuven. Nuven. Uh, the N-O-U always messes me up in French also. Yeah, Don't ask me about that. So, Sorry, yeah. Flo. I, I'm not good at pronunciation in Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. So I, I've been looking at her and and, and I'm just going to go quickly turn back to one of the points that Jesse made when we were just talking earlier where she, when she talked about maybe there's a defensive issue in the center backs with Millie Bright not being able to judge the fight of the ball. And maybe I think to some extent, I think her positional sense is not as good or she's not as intelligent as Magda Eriksson is or Marin Mielda. And I think usually we see Eriksson's always at the right place at the right time. She's able to judge everything properly. And, and, and for the most part, when she's not there, obviously we've seen a massive difference. One of the things that I noticed about their new signing um, is that, that she's a very good, she's actually specifically, her role is a cover defender. So she's not an aggressor. She's actually a sweeper or a cover. And I think there's a reason that their first signing is a centre-back who's actually really good at covering. So I think that plays into what uh, uh, Jesse was saying about maybe Emma Hayes notices and she's realised that, you know what, I can't play Magda and um, Emily together. And maybe it's time to, time to change that and get somebody in who, um, you know, who can maybe play that, 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 that covering role a little bit better because it may, maybe this high line is what they want to start doing for next season. And if they do that, they're going to need somebody who's smart into combine. But going on to what else they need tactically, I think Jesse was right. I think Guru Wrighton, I think, has been underused. And I think Aaron Cuthbert has been underused. And I understand that they played really good football with the team that they that they had for most of the season. But we've seen that when they have played slow against, whether it's a Manchester City, whether it's a Manchester United, Arsenal, you know, the Bayern Munich and the Wolfsburg, you know, games, whenever they were slow, and they weren't quick off the blocks, and people were, you know, and players weren't concentrating as well. They were dominated. But I feel like you don't have that dynamic difference midfield destroyer or even the pace. I mean, what was so good for them last season was their wide play. I mean, Guru Wrighton had, I think, uh, what she got second highest assist or highest assist in the season, league last year, if I'm not wrong. Or she was one of the top. She was near the top. That's what I remember. And then suddenly this season, she's not even had a look in, really, you know. And I think her being converted to a midfield, I think, was, was good. But I think these two players, I think, were underutilized. And I think in these big games, I think Emma Hayes might need to come out and, and look at the opposite. Like, I understand playing playing your game against their game and let the opposition change to you. But I think in games like this against a team like Barcelona, you actually kind of have to look the other way and go, maybe I need to make a little bit of a tactical change so that I can... because. Barcelona might be really, really good at something and your team might be good, but you're not as good. So maybe you need to make a tactical change. And, you know, bringing in Aaron Cuthbert and maybe even Guru Wrighton would have changed something because they're hungry to play. They, 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 they want to prove themselves and they've shown that they bring something different to what the first 11 don't have, which is, you know, dynamism, tackling, energy, you know, 
you know, all of these things that a traditional, maybe like a Sophie Ingle from a defensive midfield point of view doesn't bring. She's a really good passer. She's really good positionally. But she's not someone who's going to throw in tackles and, and constantly be winning you balls, you know. Um, it's almost like Chelsea are missing an Angola Kante, if I can bring the men's equivalent. They're missing an Angola Kante in there to kind of bring it all together. Maybe Aaron Cuthbert can become the new Angola Kante for the women's team. And Jesse, you know, Abdullah mentioned there the the kind of Emma Hayes adjusting to the opponents um, that obviously I think Emma Hayes is a bit too proud for sometimes. Um, but going forward, you know, how do you think Emma Hayes is going to be after this loss? Will she be stubborn, you know, buy maybe a more big names or kind of take a lesson from Barcelona and grow the team organically and change it a bit from what she already has? And what I mean by that is that obviously before anybody gets offended, please don't, I'm not saying anything bad. It's just the way that Emma Hayes has brought up this team versus the way Luis Cortez has brought up this team are, are very, very different. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about how Pernille Harder doesn't fit into this Chelsea side, how Emma Hayes isn't using Pernille Harder, right? How she's not using certain players, right? Um, don't make that face with me, Jesse. <laughs> um, it's not, you know, okay, I'm just going to say X player. Maybe she can use certain players better in different positions. Uh, Jesse, what's your thought on that of Emma Hayes going forward? I don't think Emma Hayes is too proud to change tactically. I think the second legs of the quarter and semi-finals show that. I think maybe there's an issue with why you need that time. I don't know if that's an analysis problem. Um, but I think Emma Hayes has shown herself to be quite a reactive manager over the years. You know, I think it was interesting. I was looking back at um, the 5-0 loss Chelsea had to Arsenal in October 2018. That was like Chelsea were humiliated. They've been humiliated before, but since then they've only lost two games in the WSL over the course of basically three years now. And I think, you know, that speaks to an ability of Hayes to learn from her losses. And I think Chelsea exercised a lot of demons in getting to this Champions League final this year. And and maybe that was in some ways the problem was that they'd waited so long to get to the final the Bayern Munich game felt like the moment, you know, and they, they didn't have the ability or maybe even the mentality to take it one step forward. I think going forward, the stuff around harder and stuff, I think is one just like rubbish. I don't get it at all. I think she's had a fine season without having a brilliant season, but I don't think that's what that weird when you're moving to a new country and having a unique first season. I think it'll be a lot more interesting next season to see, you know, how she fits in. And I think also she's been overshadowed because of how good Kerr and Kirby have been. I think we talk about her differently <laughs> if they hadn't been so good. Um, I think I'd like to see Chelsea bring in fullbacks, <laughs> at least one, maybe two. Um, but yeah, I think it was a big moment getting to the final. I think Hayes will learn a lot from it. I hope Chelsea get to a final again. These competitions, they're a lot about luck as well. They're they're about luck and skill. And Chelsea had their their fair amount of luck to get there. But you know, this side is still a fantastic side. At the end of the day, the Barcelona side were just much better, and and that's just the way it is in Europe. And Barcelona know that better than anyone because it happened to them too. And I think the best thing Chelsea can do is look at what happened to Barcelona and and do the same for themselves. Yeah, I think. I think this game in particular, it was, you know, going circling back around to the beginning of the episode, the previous podcast, none of us knew what was going to happen. 
because of the quality of both sides. Um, it was just, it was what happened on the day. And on the day, Barcelona was a better team. Could Chelsea, sorry, my map just fell down. <laughs> Could Chelsea have done the exact same thing with the quality that they have? Yeah, 100%. Um, but I do want to make one dig at Chelsea, um, at Jesse, at Abdullah, was that your captain, Magdalena Eriksson, in the pre-match press conference, someone asked her how she's going to stop Barcelona because they've scored 128 goals. And she said, we have a plan to stop them. And I'm confident that we will. Well, Magda. You've got to say no, that. No, you did <laughs> You've got to say that. I, I'm sorry. That's just press How do you not chat. say that? Yeah. Exactly. Well, I'm I'm not, I'm, I just, I'm just, I'm just saying it. <laughs> back, nothing happened there. So I'm just, you know what? That's my moment. I'm taking my moment. That's my Barcelona moment. Bisca Barca. That's all I have to say. <laughs> uh, but we're going to wrap up the episode now. Uh, we hoped you enjoyed this episode of Box Box WSL, or rather Women's Champions League. The season is done, but the podcasts are not, hopefully. Um, though we won't be posting as frequently, we do plan to do episodes around transfer season, which seems pretty busy. Um, follow our official Twitter account at Box Box WSL to keep up to date with all information and updates on the podcast when we will record one, when we will um do you know big transfers and whatnot anyway just follow us and you'll know what <laughs> what's coming next um but thank you everyone for listening and see you soon cheers guys see you later